You are listening to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, and it'd be great to hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. You can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs, and I respond to all messages personally there. However, to the show today, and we had this guest on the show recently, but two things. One, I loved having him on the show, and we had so much left to discuss. And second, just last week, he started an incredibly exciting new opportunity with his new company. And so with that, I'm thrilled to welcome back Yusuf Khan, Automation Anywhere's newly announced Chief Information Officer. For those that don't know, Automation Anywhere is the only web-based and cloud-native RPA platform. Prior to Automation Anywhere, Yusuf was the CIO and VP of Customer Success at MoveWorks. Before MoveWorks, Yusuf was CIO at Pure Storage during their period of hyper-growth, both as a private and as a public company. And finally, before Pure, Yusuf's first role in the Valley was with Qualys, again as CIO, where he owned the entire global IT budget. But before we dive into the show today, you have to check out Electric. Why Electric? Well, did you know that if your network goes down, it can cost you on average 5000 $600 a minute. Electric can help. What if I also told you you could have 100% confidence that your business data is secure and allow for new employees to be onboarded with ease and offboarded securely in a few short clicks? Again, Electric can help. So your employees automatically have the right applications installed with the right permissions. And so it's time to make the change and engage with the first of its kind IT platform, Electric, delivering enterprise grade IT support previously not available to small and medium sized businesses at a fraction of the cost. So whether you have IT in-house or no IT at all. Electric solve it all at lightning fast speed, either remotely or sending a certified partner to you. So if you're interested in deploying world-class IT, which keeps your employees productive and data secure, visit electric.ai forward slash Sasta. That's electric.ai forward slash Sasta. And speaking of keeping your employees productive and happy, as Sasta, one of the most consistent lines we've heard from the community is, I love the events and I love the Sasta blog posts, but I just wish there was a way to train my team on all of this. Well, Sasta finally made it easy with Sasta Pro. Sasta Pro is an online, fully automated training program for SaaS leaders to train their teams on the entire Sasta playbook. Every week, Sasta Pro sends you a 10-minute lesson so your team can learn together at the same time. And if you sign up now, we'll actually give you one free pass to Sasta Annual in March, my favorite event of the year by far, and one free pass to Sasta Europa this summer. That's always amazing fun. Go to sastapro.com to sign up today. That's sastapro.com. However, that's quite enough from me. So now I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Yusuf Khan, CIO at Automation Anywhere. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Yusuf, what can I say? I had so much fun on the first show with you, but thank you so much for joining me again today for this very special round two. I am super excited to speak to you again, and I really, really enjoyed our first conversation. I'm glad that we're doing chapter two, and I really just want to thank you for both the feedback, wishing you an amazing 2020 because you've done so much for this community, and I could be more excited to try and be a little bit more helpful. Well, I mean, I am blushing, but thank you so much for those kind words. I do want to start there. You mentioned the first conversation there. For those that maybe missed it, which is a terrible crime, but for those that missed Can you give me a little bit of context in terms of how did you make your way into the world of SaaS that we love so much, but also really come to be one of the leading CIOs in this really rising mega wave of enterprise SaaS that we're seeing today? I think the key thing is that companies have basically getting into a stage now that they are buying more software than they've ever done before, and they're building more software than they've done before. The build piece continues at a rapid pace because it's product-centric, but when it comes to building out their company, being able to execute, go to market, being able to be operationally efficient, that is really going to be done by 
providing amazing solutions, which SaaS has really pioneered uh, as an industry across pretty much every vertical, every business function there is. And so as a result, I think the intersection has been that the CIO has been much more involved in decision-making around SaaS purchases, but it also means that SaaS has had a much bigger impact in the growth of businesses and in the ability for companies to execute a great go-to-market strategy. So I think it's definitively, it will be here to say for many, many years to come, it will be much more impactful. And I think the quality of the product is definitely increasing as well. And so for me, it's a very exciting time to be a CIO for pretty much any one of my peers. And I think it's in an industry which will be absolutely central to a company strategy in the, in the time ahead. I couldn't agree more in terms of the centrality of the strategy there. I do want to start this day really with a bit of chronology, really, in the sense that I want to start with pitching the process to CIOs and then move further down the line, so to speak, in terms of the customer success and the post-sale side of the equation. Does that work for you, Yusuf? It works absolutely fantastic. I'm happy to share the insights. So if we start on closing the sales process, in order to do this, we have to master the pitch to the CIO. And we were saying beforehand, like, there's really not much written about this. So I'm really excited to do this. So not an easy thing to do in terms of the pitch and always feel slightly sorry for founders with that lack of training. So you sat in the buyer's seat for multiple different companies, both private and public. What are the biggest green lights for CIOs when startups are pitching them? I've been very lucky and been in the seat and having bought hundreds of solutions in the past across pretty much any business function. And I think there's a couple of common threads that have come about. Number one has basically been that companies typically want to be able to present a great vision about the product that they're building. I think this is something that I've seen commonly where you look at a solution which resolves an, a major issue, a major business problem, but it's part of a larger vision. And I think that's what companies and uh, CIOs are typically buying into. I think number two is, is that the team that's been assembled to be able to make this solution successful. I think customer success uh, is definitively one of the growth areas for SaaS companies in terms of both hiring and building out a strategy and being able to differentiate themselves. And I think one of the things that CIOs look for is how are you going to make this solution very, very successful by being able to deploy it and, and deploy it across the organization. I think the third thing is really about the level of investment that you want to be able to make and how you measure that. It's not just about an ROI conversation. It's about a longer term play around the impact that this solution is having and the value that it typically delivers. Maybe that's a productivity uplift in your employees. Maybe it is a uptick in revenue or marketing generation or its operational efficiency in a number of different verticals. So these are the kind of key things that for me, if one, two, and three, which come across as ones which help close and help get the CIO's mindset to be able to say, this is a company that I want to be able to buy. I think that the fourth thing, which is kind of critical, is really because security and compliance become such big areas, both at the board level at companies, as well as in the CIO's mandate. I think being able to talk about a security story and how you've been able to secure your infrastructure and the data that goes into it and how you're integrating securely within the company's infrastructure, these things are absolutely critical. And so those kind of four big things, I would say, are kind of top of mind, at least from my standpoint. I mean, Yusuf, we joked beforehand that uh, we, we start with one question and then we just go totally off schedule. You mentioned some elements there where I want to go totally off schedule on them because you sure. mentioned first though the vision and I totally agree with you in terms of how people can be inspired by that product roadmap that you mentioned in episode one. I guess my question is how patient are CIOs and customers when it comes to the providers really delivering on their promises of V2, V3, V4 in terms of timeline? How patient are they? You know, I believe people are patient. 
I think building out products is hard. Building out companies is hard. I think CIOs know that sitting in their seat, whether they work for a several hundred person company or a several thousand person company. And I think they know that executing on product is hard. I think the question really comes down to is sense of partnership. You know, I mentioned four things in my first answer. I think the fifth thing is really the sense of partnership that a company is able to build with a CIO. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's kind of critical. That sense of partnership will be based on transparency of the product vision. It'll be based based on how well the company is doing. It's going to be based on being able to demonstrate how easy or even how difficult it is about you know, how this product is being built. I think CIO is actually very interested to know about why things are hard, why things are easy. Uh, but you know, they actually are intellectually curious from my standpoint. So I think what's important is transparency between a founder and a startup to a CIO to say, this is what our vision is, number one. I think number two is, yes, keeping up regular updates is a good thing. And I think the third thing is, if you're decided to change, that's totally fine. I think you need to demonstrate why that is. And I think you need to talk about why that is. I think the difficult part comes in is when you've made a solid commitment because you probably wanted to close a sale or something else of that sort, and you're not able to deliver. I think that's a difficult situation for anyone, not, not honoring your commitments. But I think the, the key thing is being able to be very transparent about that product roadmap uh, and the process that goes into it. That's the confidence that a CIO wants to have with a startup. They want to basically make the buying investment and make that product successful. Totally. I mean, you, you also mentioned it in terms of kind of the centrality of customer success and really feeling aligned to the CIO. And we mentioned last time kind of change management and real efficient change management being important for CIOs. I guess the other question that I have, and again, off schedule, is how does one measure the success of a CIO? And I always think, like, put on the hat of the other person, put on the hat of the buyer. What are they judged on? And and what's that success criteria for the CIO? Right. So having deployed out multiple solutions in multiple companies, I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think number one is, have you delivered in what you as a CIO had a vision to deliver? And that really takes uh, time to be able to articulate what that vision is. It takes time to be able to be very, very clear about why you're doing something. And I think the other key piece is how you've actually done it. The how piece is actually very critical. And this is where the partnership with a SaaS company comes into place because customer success is absolutely critical. There's alignment about why we're going with a particular solution to deliver value. I think the other piece is change management enablement in these companies. Any company is really, really hard. And so what really needs to happen is how do you partner with the customer success function of a company to be able to make that easy? And I think there's multiple ways to do it. But I think customer success is one of those areas which in 2020 uh, and in the years ahead will probably be one of the most fastest growing for SaaS companies because I think there's going to be greater demand for CIOs to be able to make sure that they are successful in being able to deploy out solutions. When you ask the question about how a CIO is measured from that standpoint, they're going to be measured across a number of things, but it's really going to be about the way they've been able to deliver on key change programs in their company because those programs have originated from conversations in the executive staff about what needs to be done to be able to make this company grow, be more efficient, and grow in profitability and revenue. You mentioned that kind of the transparency, the trust, and that alignment of partnership between CIO and the actual vendor itself being called to kind of the green light. If one kind of flips sides of the table, as I said, you've witnessed, you know, and bought hundreds of different software providers. In terms of like the red flags, are there any big don'ts that you see and really kind of want to highlight when it comes to startups pitching CIOs? I think it's always about being able to manage expectations. I think self-awareness 
awareness is kind of important for founders and startups to know what's possible and what the focus is. I think being able to clearly articulate that is something that people have a difficulty doing because they, yes, of course, you can do a tremendous amount of things. It's a very exciting time to be able to build a company and to be able to go to market. But I think rigorous focus is also very, very important. I think it's actually critical for companies to be able to make sure that buyers and customers and specifically CIOs know what they are very good at and what they're focusing on and what they're not focusing on. So I actually think that being both transparent upfront is probably a, a safe way to basically do it. The one thing that I would probably ask people to avoid is trying to basically paint a larger vision, which you don't fundamentally believe in. You're doing it from a sales perspective. I think that there has to be a sense of reality about what you can achieve when and being upfront about that. And I think actually CIOs really respect that because then they know that they're managing their risk accordingly. And the strong likelihood is they'll probably make that decision based on the fact that they've got a clear timeline of 18, 24, 36 months of where this company is going and where the product is going. And I think that's really, really useful. So we're going to run with this hypothetical pitch. And let's say we've had the green light moment so far. I'm pitching you, Yusuf, with my phenomenal piece of software. And it's going well so far, but it comes to the element now of pricing. How do you advise founders to think through the right pricing strategy when pitching CIOs? So Stebbings.io is a phenomenal (laughs) company. And I I couldn't be more excited when the founder basically reached out to me and said, can I have a moment? And I said, well, of course. Um, (laughs) So now that we basically fast forwarded over to basically realizing that this is a great product, I want to deploy it. I think pricing comes down to a couple of things. I think number one is what is a commercially sensible decision, both for your company and the CIO. Remember that you're a startup. Remember that depending on what stage of the company you are, are you basically approaching for a good logo and you're asking for a customer that can be wildly successful? And are you therefore asking for a case study as a result of it? What are you willing to compromise to be able to make that work? Number one. Number two, you've got to defend the price. I actually fundamentally believe this, that do you fundamentally believe that you are going to be adding value to this company? Of course you are. And so you should be able to understand that you're defending the value that you're providing to companies. And I think CIOs actually respect that. Saying that, I think you have to be very clear about how you came to that. I think number three is you have to be able to iterate. At the stage a company you're at, I've bought hundreds of solutions even before they were a fully-fledged product. I've understood that your company at a certain stage, pricing strategy for companies changes many, many years into their life cycle. I mean, some companies are revamping their entire pricing models even after being in business for 10 plus years. There's several examples of that. What I'm basically saying is I think being able to iterate being able to optimize for what you want to achieve without basically doing something unnatural, I would basically say, is probably the right way to go. And I think most people are reasonable when they talk with both procurement teams, CIOs, otherwise, to be able to basically make that work. I had someone on the show recently and they said, if you're going to give a discount, you want to make sure you get two things from it. Not one thing in terms of cash upfront, but a second thing in terms of case studies, in terms of you know ability to showcase logos, whatever that second thing might be. Would you say that kind of strong negotiating stance of, fine, Yusuf, you can have my software at a discounted rate, but I want two things. How do you find that roles with CIOs? I think it resonates. Here's the challenge. If you want to do a public testimonial of some sort that basically takes a cycles to work through with, say, a marketing team or others. In other case, this is about basically being a reference customer, being a private reference customer, being able to be able to talk about how well and successful the company has basically been. I think in most cases, CIOs are very, very approachable and want to be able to tell their story. 
And I think there's many of my peers who I'm lucky to have learned from over time. And they've been able to tell their story about how they were very early with a company and they were able to basically make it successful. I think letting a customer tell you a story is a very, very powerful way from a, a go-to-market standpoint. And I think that's very well worth having a, a discount conversation for. I think the other piece is really about the most companies forget. This is also about when startups are in fundraising mode, this is what it comes down to. You know, VCs are reaching out to customers, to potential customers otherwise. I don't think it hurts to be able to make sure that not only have you delivered well with a specific customer, but that customer is willing to basically say, I'm willing to help this company in my way because they've done right by me. And I think that's becoming pretty much the standard, at least from my vantage point. And so I would actually encourage startup founders to be able to build that partnership. And I think it really builds a good relationship between definitively CIOs and technology SaaS companies where they're able to say, look, we're early on in our journey. This is what we need to be successful. Can you be a part of this? And I think that's a refreshing change to what would be a very typical vendor transactional relationship. No, I I do agree. I really like the removal of that transactional relationship. But the pricing is... And sorry, just just for the record, I would happily be a reference for Stebbings.io because I I would say it's a phenomenal product, but let's go to the next question. I totally agree with you. I'm glad we got one five-star rating. But the pricing is just one element, so to speak, of the contract negotiation process. And it's a lot more diverse. But honestly, I I don't think a lot of people, and me included, know the true granularities. So I guess, where do you recommend founders spend the most time and energy when it really comes to negotiating the finer points of the contract? I think there's a couple of things. I think number one is on the pricing side, you know, you have to iterate. Think about what the CIO is optimizing for. Is the CIO optimizing for cost certainty? I've talked about this before. You know, cost certainty is a very good thing. It makes sure that they can plan their budgets accordingly. It makes sure that they know what the investment looks like for the best part of a one-year contract or a three-year contract. Are you optimizing for per-user growth? Most SaaS companies are. They're going for being able to deploy out towards the enterprise and be able to do that. But then you have to realize what the middle ground is when the deployment of that solution takes quite a bit of time to be able to be successful. And how do you counteract for that? Uh, That's from a a pricing strategy standpoint. So my recommendation is be iterative, understand what a commercially sensible decision looks like for both parties. I think when it comes to the nitty-gritty of contracts, I think it comes to a few things. One is definitely on the security and compliance side. I think these things are absolute table stakes. I think the other pieces really come down to what success looks like. And it's very difficult to define in contracts. So I wouldn't really go down to that level. I think that's really going to be a conversation and a partnership about providing a customer success plan and a way how this how you're able to execute it. And that's where actually the value is really, really created. I think the third piece is really centered on the overarching partnership about how this product is being built. And in a longer term relationship, are you, for example, going to be early to be able to test out new products that are being created and therefore benefit? Are you able to lock in a good price and a good investment because you believe in the company? You know, CIOs, as much as that they are buyers, they are thinking it from an investment standpoint as well. I mean, okay, it's not a VC type investment, but it is an investment of sort because what you're trying to basically do is to say, okay, do I understand that this is going to increase in value over time? And so there's a mindset there which needs to be applied from an investment standpoint in terms of time and effort from their team to be able to make successful, their belief in the company and the product, and of course, the end output that they're going to result, it's going to be in the company. So I think those three vectors is what CIOs are basically thinking around. And I think startup vendors should basically align alongside those. Absolutely, in terms of that investment mindset of CIOs. And it's also just the opportunity cost of dollars and where they're allocated. You know, they could be allocated elsewhere if they're 
they're not going to use. So totally agree with you there. I do want to ask though, I, I often say to enterprise founders, if you're not a top one, two or three buying decision for CIOs, honestly, it's going to be too tricky. Can I ask, am I being too short-sighted and narrow-minded with that quite black and white view? And actually, given now the broad spectrum of software that is being bought, is that actually no longer accurate? I mean, with respect, I'd say that's a bit short-sighted. And I'd say the following. I think that the reality is that companies are moving at such a fast pace that their ability to be able to nail down problems and solutions is changing. And as a result of that, new opportunities occur. And I think really question comes down to is how quickly can you execute on a product decision that you basically make when you want to buy it? And does it solve a problem right off the bat? And if it does, great, you should basically execute on it. So yes, I think it does come down to prioritization. So for example, what one thing I'll tell you in hundreds of conversations that I've had with CIOs, top three priorities are pretty much along the following lines. Customer experience and how they're going to be able to impact that. Number two, how they're going to be impacting transactions and how they partner with revenue operations. And third is, of course, looking at product innovation and where they'll be able to input from that standpoint. And there's 10 other things that typically come up, but I, I tend to hear this quite commonly. That does not mean that you don't get mindshare. It just basically means they're looking for a great solution. So I fundamentally believe that if you have a solution where you've been able to build a great track record, you've had good thought process about how you're executing and the data that you've basically used to be able to come to that conclusion. It really comes out around mindshare and how you market to CIOs to be able to get that. There's a number of solutions out there which weren't probably number one priority, but CIOs have made that investment because they're like, okay, I've been thinking about this problem for some time. I just haven't seen a good solution for it. I believe in this solution. I want to head towards that. And that's what they basically did. Well, I'm so glad we've discovered that I'm now short-sighted. <laughs> but, uh, I, I love that. No, and I think you're totally right there. I, I do want to kind of discuss the, the next phase because all being well, then we move into the procurement phase. And, you know, it's feared by all VCs and founders. And many obviously suggest that it just takes so long and it's so difficult to navigate. If we think about kind of grabbing the ball by the horns, what can startups do to actively work with procurement teams and really make the process as fast as possible? Well, first thing is they shouldn't try and avoid them. I think that's a mistake. I think uh, partnering up with procurement teams is probably a much better strategy, number one. I think number two is going through a procurement process. If you're building out an enterprise company, this is a good thing. This is a good muscle to be able to build, to be able to understand how to build out complex transactions over time because you are building a long-lasting company. And so building a relationship and understanding of a deep procurement process is a very, very good thing. I think the third thing is preparation. Most companies, most startup vendors are not prepared for that. They're not prepared with basic things around sometimes on the paperwork side of things, sometimes on the pushback, on things like the MSA. They're not prepared on documentation when it comes to security and compliance. They're sometimes too rigid in terms of how they want to go around pricing. Look, we understand as buyers that everything is a negotiation. So if we all know that, let's basically approach it with that mindset set and understand where we're going to get to a great decision, which is a win for everybody around the table. The role of procurement teams is to get the best value for the company. And that's their job. That's not, nothing you should try and avoid them for. I think the one thing that every startup should basically do is how are they able to very clearly demonstrate to a procurement team why they are a winning solution. Now, that just sounds very basic and fundamental. But you have to remember, procurement teams are not just focusing on buying one SaaS solution for one department. They're buying hundreds of these, right? Their objective is to be able to get value. Their objective is not to be the expert on marketing generation technology or demand generation technology, excuse me. It's not based on cybersecurity solutions. 
And so being able to do better enablement of procurement teams in a friendly way to be able to demonstrate the difference is important. Most startups are not on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Most startups do not have a large marketing budget that they've created. And so therefore, your only friend in the room are the people sitting across from you who are trying to basically make sure that they get best deal for a CIO and an IT team who really likes your solution. They're not trying to be adversarial. What they're trying to basically do is reiterate to me, help me basically make this decision easier. And I think most companies forget this. They come into the role, they're like, we're going to negotiate and try and get a good deal. They really just want to know whether this is going to be a successful solution. You have to remember, procurement teams are probably going to be using your solution if it's an enterprise-wide solution. So surely it makes sense that you have more and more champions in the company. This is one of the things that I think startup teams totally forget. They look at it too much as a transaction. They don't look at it as a partnership across the board. It is a partnership across the board that needs to basically happen. I really like the mentality of kind of arming them with the materials and tools to really sell it internally and ensure that it is adopted as it should be. My question to you is, are there tools, are there guidebooks, FAQs, resources that startups should put together so they can literally give them, you know, the stabbings.io fact book and say, hey, here's all the materials, you go run with it, and you have all of it very clearly and structured in terms of kind of the presentation style. Is that a good way to do it or does it need to be much more customized? No, I think I think that's a very, very good way to do it, actually. I think that's something that I've had exposure to. It shows a couple of things. So for example, a recommendation number one, build out a really good security narrative and a compliance narrative that you can speak to and that actually you can enable your salespeople to. And again, you've got to balance it from that standpoint. Number two, being able to talk about the company's history and, and articulating it in a very clear way and packaging that up is absolutely right. Talking about how you've thought about product roadmap and not just like the details in an MSA. This is about the value that you're actually demonstrating and the outputs and the outcomes that you can have in the company. Prepackaging these are super important. I think the other thing, there's a, just a general part of this, which most people forget. It just demonstrates great professionalism. The ability for you to respond to a procurement team, a CIO, an IT team that reports into the CIO or a line, any line of business, for you to be able to quickly respond in a very clear way about who you are as a company and respond to queries, it just demonstrates a great buying experience. I've talked about this in the past. It's no longer going to be based on price and, oh, well, I've bought the right solution. It integrates with all these into your infrastructure and you should be buying it. This is going to be about the entire buying experience. And the entire buying experience just doesn't include the CIO. It includes a procurement team. And that experience is really going to be about the level of professionalism that you bring to the table. It's going to be about a great POC. It's going to be about great response to FAQs. It's going to be response about providing security documentation. It's your ability to jump on a call to clarify a whole bunch of things. These are the things that most companies forget. And I think this is the kind of behaviors I've typically seen from companies that have really done well in the SaaS space and have won my respect. I totally get you in terms of kind of the mindset and the approach that they take and how that is shown through the resources that they can bring at speed. You've mentioned security and compliance quite a few times. And it's, it's a bit of a catch-all phrase in my mind that is often said, but actually, I, I don't know a lot of the granularities around it. So kind of help me here. What do CIOs and teams want to see by way of compliance and security? Well, I think what you need to understand is that in some cases, security mandate will fall within the CIO. In most cases, it will fall under a larger cybersecurity function, especially in enterprise companies, which reports into the CISO. Candidly speaking, the CISO doesn't know about your solution, probably won't care about the solution until they actually get to know it and, and won't champion it because that's not, not their objective. And so I think being able to talk about what your security strategy is, I mean, I think the good thing is as the cloud has evolved and platforms have evolved, being able to build on those platforms provides you with a good advantage advantage to be able to have a good security narrative. You've got to think about things like privacy. Now, this is just 
in the mainstream now. It's a common question that will basically come up. We're talking about basic things about how you're securing your infrastructure, but it also talks about your security posture and what that basically is when you think about the kind of people that you've hired or the consulting partners that you brought into place to be able to manage your security infrastructure. The problem that most companies are now having when they go to market is they probably will win hearts and minds within a different business function. And unfortunately, then the security team only hears about it at the end and they're having conversations. It doesn't help. I would advise companies in the year going ahead is to be able to make sure that when they're basically going to market, that they're actually enabling the procurement team, that they are talking early with the security team. Volunteering that is actually a good thing because it actually demonstrates professionalism. You're like, hey, listen, it's really centered on a couple of things. It's centered on the fact that you're saying, look, we care about security. Number two, we have the right solutions and infrastructure in place. And number three, we have the right plan and a right strategy in place when it comes to security. It's about demonstrating and articulating security posture. These are the things that are going to be absolutely critical. And I think it's going to become easier as it becomes in the mainstream from the tools that are available to you, both from the cloud platforms. Otherwise, there's just so many, candidly speaking. And so being able to just constantly improve your security posture over the course of a year and demonstrating and talking about that is a very, very good thing. Totally. I think it shows real readiness and kind of proactivity to suggest bringing them in earlier into the process. I guess the final element that I do really want to touch on is, you know, especially for me as an ambassador today, I see a ton of companies with POCs. We're seeing uh, innovation budgets swell from large incumbents where maybe they hand out POCs easier than they would have done in previous years. My question to you is, what are the core signs that the POC is real effort of engagement from the incumbent? And what are the signs that it's not? I think one is demonstrating sense of partnership earlier is important. And this is something I've talked about from a basic level. Like the level of engagement that you typically have, the team that you're putting to the table, who've got the experience, give you assurance that this POC is going to be successful. Number two, understanding the environment is going to make you successful because what you say is that, look, we can do this POC. We've done it multiple times before. Here's how it basically works. I think number three is this aspect of differentiation. The differentiation part comes in is really about being able to deal with complexity without being overly confident and arrogant, but being able to say, look, we've looked at every different sort of environment before and we've been successful. And here's why. Here's how we basically built out a product. I think the number four thing about the POC is how well it's executed. So clarity of timeline, clarity of basically what the goals are within those, and then what the end goal basically looks like. Those are the successful POCs that come to mind where it just felt great as a solution. You know, you sort of go in, you're like, wow, it's already deployed or great. The team is super engaged. The human part of this of a POC is actually very critical because that's how you demonstrate the sense of partnership that you're basically building in these companies. That, that changes the customer experience from a buying perspective. It changes the ability to be able to make sure that you deal with the issues collectively. You have to remember when you're doing a POC, you have understanding of a customer environment, but you don't know the depths of it. And so being able to work with it and integrate into it means that you have to build a great sense of partnership. And only the companies that do that well are going to really, really succeed. Otherwise, I think it's going to be supremely problematic. Is it too aggressive to request automatic conversion of POC into a much longer form engagement if certain conditions are met, certain benchmarks, certain goals? Is it too aggressive to request automatic conversion, not a separate decision? It depends very much on the end output of your solution. I think in most cases, it's absolutely fine to do so. I think it's actually really advisable that you state that up front. I think it's about the posture that you want to put in place in terms of the POC. 
if it's going to be real hard work on your side, whereas the other one is like, well, even if it is a good solution, we'll think about it. Well, there's an opportunity cost towards whether you want to focus your efforts towards that as a customer, right? Because you want to have one sale process, you don't have multiple sale processes. And so my advice is really aligning on that early is probably a good way to do it. I mean, is there going to be a compelling case why it's not going to happen? I think having the review checkpoints in the POC, agreeing those up front and committing time towards it is kind of important. What you want to avoid is someone comes in three months later, they're like, what's been happening? And you're like, we have to like now come up with a whole story of what happened in the last few months. I think having regular checkpoints, regular updates, I think that's the, those successful POCs, those are the ones that work really well because you're just letting people know, even if it's like a, a short email, even if it's a short report or, you know, by the way, it's a, it's a phone call that you put into place. Say, look, this is going really well. This is not going really well. Here's why it's not going really well. And we need to be able to look at this. I think those are the successful POCs that I've seen done in the past. Yeah, checkpoints are totally crucial. I totally agree. The longer you have in terms of engagement, I think the, the less likely it is to convert. I, I do want to move into my favorite though, Yusuf, which is the 60 second SaaS. Do you know the drill here? Different questions this time though. So this should be fun. Are you ready to rock and roll? Well, Steppings.io pitch, I'm about to buy. So yeah, I think I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. Yeah, get the pen out, ready to sign. Uh, what would you like to change about the mentality of CIOs today? I think more partnerships with startups, more partnerships with VCs and taking more risks. What is the right relationship between the CIO and the CEO? One of deep partnership being able to be most impactful when it comes to customer experience. Which CIO is crushing it today and why do you think? Pretty much all of them who are being able to represent technology, not because just working for a technology company, but they're able to champion how it's impacted their company. I think those are the ones who are really crushing it. What can founders do to build trust with CIOs fast? I think be transparent and upfront about how a CIO can help them as being a champion customer, as well as being a true partner in the company story. What are the core reasons buying processes take longer? Lack of preparedness and lack of conversations about what the company is trying to win for when it comes to commercials. Yusuf, it was another one where uh, we start completely knocked to the schedule. Uh, I think we're turning this more into a monthly engagement, which I absolutely love. Listen, I, honestly, it's such a pleasure doing these shows with you. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you again for the time. Wishing you uh, an amazing year ahead. Thanks again. I do just always love my discussions with Yusuf. And if you'd like to see more from him, you can find him on Twitter at Yakhan. That's at Yakhan. Likewise, it'd be great to welcome you behind the scenes here. You can do so on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. I really do love to see you there. But before we leave you today, you have to check out Electric. Why Electric? Well, did you know that if your network goes down, it can cost you on average $5,600 a minute? Electric can help. What if I also told you you could have 100% confidence that your business data is secure and allow for new employees to be onboarded with ease and offboarded securely in a few short clicks. Again, Electric can help. So your employees automatically have the right applications installed with the right permissions. And so it's time to make the change and engage with the first of its kind IT platform, Electric, delivering enterprise-grade IT support previously not available to small and medium-sized businesses at a fraction of the cost. So whether you have IT in-house or no IT at all, Electric solve it all at lightning fast speed, either remotely or sending a certified partner to you. So if you're interested in deploying 
deploying world-class IT which keeps your employees productive and data secure, visit electric.ai forward slash Sasta. That's electric.ai forward slash Sasta. And speaking of keeping your employees productive and happy, as Sasta, one of the most consistent lines we've heard from the community is, I love the events and I love the Sasta blog posts, but I just wish there was a way to train my team on all of this. Well, Sasta finally made it easy with Sasta Pro. Sasta Pro is an online, fully automated training program for SaaS leaders to train their teams on the entire Sasta playbook. Every week, Sasta Pro sends you a 10-minute lesson so your team can learn together at the same time. And if you sign up now, we'll actually give you one free pass to Sasta Annual in March, my favorite event of the year by far, and one free pass to Sasta Europa this summer. That's always amazing fun. Go to sastapro.com to sign up today. That's sastapro.com. As always, I so appreciate all your support and I can't wait to bring you an incredible episode next week with a founder who's raised over $100 million in the last five months of 2019. It's a special one.